Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Hey, we have some questions from long-suffering listeners that have just been sitting in the suggestion box, and we're going to tackle several of them today to start and then get into some other stuff. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Bells. I'm still uh, recovering from last night's uh, CONCACAF Champions League game. Speaking of long-suffering uh, fans of uh, MLS and people hoping that MLS will one day win a CONCACAF Champions League. Are you pretty invested in that quest? personally no, no not at all but it's uh, it's entertainment and uh it was there were some very uh u.s men's national team adjacent players involved in the uh, in the outcome yesterday between sebastian saucedo uh, and his reappearance at uh, <laughs> i love that that's the first name you bring up <laughs> he was he was integral to seattle's comeback unfortunately for him was he? I didn't watch the second half. What what happened? How was he? Oh, you didn't you didn't miss much. It was just a uh, it was just a classic two penalties in the last twelve minutes uh, of the. No, I don't know. I don't know exactly how when the penalties came, but uh, Salcedo just made a sliding challenge in the box mm. and like Buffo. they crossed it into his arm, and so he took a handball penalty. Call stood, and that was uh, that was the first goal for Seattle. And then Christian Roldan drew the second penalty for Seattle in like the ninety fourth minute. Uh, after the review, it was it was uh, converted in the 99th minute to finish. So the match finished two two, which is a great result for Seattle because they get to come back home and you know presumably they can get a win against this Pumas team. Um, I saw Roldan put a ball on a platter for uh, oh gracious, Rui Diaz, yeah, yeah, yeah. just Rui Diaz. Uh, I mean, the best, an excellent best goal record. scorer. Yeah, yeah. I just had a a moment there. Um, that was a nice ball. Very nice. Kind of Tim Weah-esque. Yeah, that, that was racking up some expected assists there. But though I don't have access to those numbers from this competition. So we got to lean on people with, with the, uh, the inside information. Or we could just lean on our eyeballs. How about that? <laughs> uh, before we get into the questions, let me remind you that the form for submitting questions to us is always in the show notes. I regularly get requests for this. It's always in the show notes. Every episode that goes out on the public feed has the link in it. So you can always get it there. Or you could you know, send me an email and I'll send it to you. Um, from Grishko in Eugene, Oregon, question number one. Please tackle the Pulisic, Wea, and Geo starting lineup conundrum. Assume the entire roster is fit and in form for Qatar. Is there a good way to get them all on the pitch for 60-plus minutes? What do you think Greg will do? Change formation? Play someone out of their best position, i.e. A, a false nine? Bench Musa for Geo, Or just abandon the dream and plan for someone as the super sub? And which one would that be? I'm going to throw... I know, you want me to, I know you want me to drive this, but I'm going to throw that over to you first. <laughs> so my initial tendency is to just uh, go with that last route, which is to abandon the dream... Uh, of that being your, you know, getting all three of them on there as your full strength 11 and just lean on one of them as a super sub. And that could even rotate from game to game. Yeah. Uh, depending on minutes and prior matches and, you know, fitness levels. Uh, but it, again, it's not, it's not a, certainly not a terrible thing to have all 180 winger minutes uh, loaded up with two wingers, 90 minutes each. So if you can follow my math, there, uh, <laughs> to have like, three excellent wingers to to split those minutes up with and and when you talk about a group stage of a tournament uh you know you're talking what is that 
540 winger minutes. Uh, so having three, like it, it's tough. I'm not to following the math anymore. <laughs> Somebody's going to check it anyway. Uh, I don't, I don't, did I even get, am I even close? I think, yeah, that's right. 540. <laughs> am I in the ballpark? I want, I'm, I'm within one order of magnitude. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for, for me, it, I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to, uh, to checking out in the next, in the summer four match window or in the fall, uh, some kind of a look with all three of them in the lineup. And I think for me, the easiest way to do that is, is moving geo to center mid. Uh, I know I'm going to run into a lot of friction with the Gio Reina false nine crowd, Giovanni Reina false nine crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I still think that he can add a lot in central midfield, uh, even if he's proven that he can add a lot of danger from that uh, sort of free winger role. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I think the, that we're going to have to abandon the dream of them all playing at the same time for the most part. But the one way that I do like it is Gio Vani in the midfield. Um, but there's, you know, there's drawbacks of that because Musa brings so much control to the midfield. Maybe Giovanni would do the same. I'm going to just keep calling him Giovanni. Uh, <laughs> no, we have to. I, I'm trying to adapt as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do, I think it would, it could, at the very worst, it could be a situational thing where, okay, at this stage in the game, we, you know, introducing an extra attacker and sacrificing Musa makes sense. So we, we get way on the field. Giovanni drops a level, still brings a lot of uh, quality and attack. Now just one la- layer removed um, mm-hmm. because, you know, that could, be, that could be a thing we need to try to do if we're chasing late. But, but the team as it stands is, is, in my opinion, really balanced. Uh, so to have the starting lineup remain MMA makes the most sense to me to give us as much balance as possible in defense. And, and sort of protecting the back line, protecting the whole field is really kind of what the balance is with that midfield. The games are at four-day intervals instead of three-day three day intervals, which is what the World Cup qualifiers were at in the th- those three-game windows. So it's not going to be quite as grueling as that, but it's still going to be... I, I mean, fatigue's still going to creep in for people, and, you know, Musa may need to be rotated, and, you know, one of the wingers may need to be rotated at just naturally so i think it's totally fine to have an extra quality player who doesn't get on every starting lineup yeah six six quality players for five for five spots seems like a, a really good thing so it's really just about figuring out if reina can be that versatile option in in central midfield okay that's that's sort of my priority for for the for that experiment is to see if reina can do a job in central midfield for us who would be like in the first game? Who are you starting on the bench as the as the sub? Uh, it's probably it's probably my favorite player on the team, Tim Weah. That's tough. That's really tough. But uh, I try I try to focus on it as a positive thing. Yeah, I think I would probably. Well, I, you can't you can't put Pulisic on the bench. It goes against all the narratives, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, and this is this is also where we're very much in hypothetical territory because Gio Reyna may not even be fit to play, uh, and if he is, he may not be fit to play ninety minutes or sixty minutes. So, you know, we just saw what he can do off the bench. We've seen Pulisic come off the bench. We've seen Weah come off the bench, and all be explosive additions on the field. Which again is why I don't feel too like too much urgency to throw off the midfield balance to get all three of them on the field mm-hmm. at once. Okay. 
from Ryan. Hopefully that answers the question, Grishko. Thank you for it. Uh, from Ryan in Milwaukee. Here's a stupid hypothetical. Let's say FIFA suddenly allowed an additional field player for international competition. What would our starting 12 be? <laughs> and I would just refer, for me, I'd just refer him to the previous question and we'd, <laughs> we'd, throw, we'd throw three wingers on there, probably drop Reyna in underneath the nine and above the tens and just, uh, you know, try to run and gun. For sure, right? Yeah, we, we run a 4-4-3. Four, four, uh, which is an excellent <laughs> formation to use against your focus group if you're if you're trying to add a little uh, difficulty to your starters in training and you want to make them really earn their spaces, uh, make them play against a four four three. I would call it more of a four, well four three three one, <laughs> a four three four. All right. Well, I, I, I'm going four three one three, where Reina is the one in between the two bands of three. That's the best one. That's the best one. Yeah. Um, and then his second uh, stupid hypothetical is, <laughs> what would our what would our starting ten be if FIFA were suddenly to remove a field player for international competition? And he he, he ends his question with with thank you for your patience and cooperation. <laughs> well. I'm, I'm, I, I see what you have written down, but it was where I was going to. You drop one of your center backs. And you, just, you just have to go. Uh, I mean, that's the fun way to do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so you got to go 3-3-3, three, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've got, the, we've got the versatility for that. Adam, all our center mids can, can cover for that extra space that's, that's now vacated. Yeah. Who would be the lone center back if we had, if we had uh, you know, Dest on the right? Robinson on the left. I think at that point it's probably Miles. If it's if it's for, one center back, I'm probably running Miles or Miles or Richards. Yeah, because you need the extra you need the extra mobility. And and I think Miles is better at carrying the ball than Zimmerman, and I think Richards is better at passing the ball than Zimmerman. Uh, so either way, you're getting some kind of like trait, like at least one quality trait from that from a distribution role because you can't rely on just the other guy doing it. Mm-hmm. The, I know it, it probably feels to some people like I pick on Richards about this, but it, it does come to mind that you'd have uh, some aerial deficiency mm, there if he was the only center one. back. Yeah, you're right. But I'm, assu- I'm going to assume a lot of teams are going to take away uh, an attacker and go really, really cautious with their 10. So hopefully that would make things a little easier. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of, a lot, of, a lot of like consequences that we haven't fully thought through. <laughs> Soccer's complicated enough, Ryan. Come on. All right. Uh, from MCB in New York City says he heard this on TSS. That's the Total Soccer Show, and would like our take. What's your best eleven of guys with zero Ocho minutes? Greg, you have one of your myriad graphics produced <laughs> on this. I, I didn't actually have this prepared, but it was it was pretty close. So this is this is a I haven't listened to TSS's version of this yet, so I wonder how much overlap there's going to be. Neither uh, have I. But I, I've got a lineup here that I think could could probably win a gold cup. Could definitely win an off year gold cup. Give it to us. Give so, it to us. So we have Ethan Horvath, who's an excellent goalkeeper to run a goal, and we can back him up with Sean Johnson and Gaga Slonina. So we have three very good goalkeepers with zero ocho minutes. Uh, we can run Cameron Carter-Vickers and Matt Miazga out there uh, at center backs. 
Um, CCV team team of the year in the Scottish Premier League. Right. So that that at least, again historically for the U.S. that seems like he would have been a no brainer like starter for us any other era. Uh, yeah. I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive and and younger on the uh, uh, fullback. So I'm going to go with Joe Scally and Kevin Paredes. So again, Scally's got like a thousand Bundesliga minutes. He's no he's no like totally unproven player uh i had he didn't didn't just fall off the turnip truck come (laughs) on guys i was i was hoping to like manage to do this with four swingbacks which is definitely a a commonly accepted uh term for players who can play either right or left fullback but i had to (laughs) i had to give in and bring predis in though i think predis has played on the right side of for dc united but more in like an attacking role where he'd come in on that left foot we're going to need a DC, DC fan to, to correct us I on think that that's true, but okay, please correct us if it's not. But Scali can definitely play both, and then we've got like uh, Dewan Jones who can play both. Uh, I have Aaron Herrera listed here because he's just had such a good attacking year uh, in, in MLS last year that I am curious to see what he could do. Given definitely, that a swing, definitely a swing back. Definitely, yeah, he's a he's swing back. He was also good in the, uh, in the Olympic failure. I mean, maybe maybe good's overstating it, but he was goodish. Yeah, he was threatening. He was doing things, which was the bar to clear. Yep. Uh, do do you have guys that you want to throw in on that back line or in goal? Well, I I had you go first because yours is better than mine. But I had um uh, I had the same center backs. I had Slanina in goal. I kind of forgot that Horvath hasn't had any caps. Um, it's easy to forget that so many of these players have just not played in the Ocho. And then, uh, yeah, Caps in the Ocho. I have Reynolds and Dewan Jones as my fullbacks. Brian Reynolds. There you go. Uh, still, still have some faith in his upside, and uh, we'll see, you know. The center, the center back one is crazy because we have CCV and Miazga, who are, you know, again, fine stand-ins. And it's not even like, I mean, we've played like eight other center backs. We've played a ton of center backs to even and to still have these guys left over as the ones with zero minutes. Yeah. So it's it's just insane what our uh, center back plateau looks like. Who are the eight center backs we've played? I mean, the one that the one that comes to mind is McKenzie. He's gotten some minutes, but Richards, Zimmerman, Robinson, Long's gotten a handful of minutes. Mc- Tim Ream played the opener against El Salvador, That's and right. then we haven't we haven't heard from him since. Yeah. Okay. Who are your midfielders in this? Un- All right. So no Ocho uh, eleven. I'm going with Williamson as a six. He played like three games there for Portland last year. He's not all the way back yet from injury. It doesn't seem like, but I there's a lot of creative license here. Uh, and I'm going with Pomacall and Tillman uh, as my dual eights. Yeah, I did this in haste and forgot about uh, Tillman. But my my uh, you're gonna have to answer for that on Monday. I feel like yeah. Oh, there may be some pretty fraught accusations. <laughs> um, the the six the six for me. I had either uh, Polster, Servania, or Morales. To be honest, I didn't know who I who was best among them because I haven't been watching any of them much, or at least not very closely. You know, Servania, I see. But um, and then uh, Pomacall and Nagby as the two sure. eights. Love a Nagby shout. Uh, and we, I mean, we still have like Keaton Parks. I have uh, I have Taylor Booth kind of in my, in mind for this because I'm really hoping that Taylor Booth will come out next year 
as like the next Luca De La Torre where, you know, he's sort of just been buried because he's with Bayern Munich mm-hmm. and you're not just going to get games for Bayern Munich. Uh, so it's easy to just sort of not know if he's good or not. Uh, similar to how De La Torre was buried at Fulham and just couldn't play. So, you know, I think I think the running bit was that your eyes would glaze over when you would hear his name discussed because you, you just have no information on him. So it's it, maybe he's good, maybe he's nothing. Uh, but Booth is on his way to the air, to the uh, Netherlands this fall, so it could be like carbon copy. Yeah, of, is he going to De La Torre He's going to Utrecht. Is that where he's going? Yeah, yeah. So the question will be: If he's good, will he have enough time there to show it? Because you know we have the September window, very little soccer to be played before that window. So if he's not showing it yet, it's it's just going to be almost impossible to get into a camp. And then if he doesn't, pretty much impossible to get into. Uh, the World Cup, the World Cup roster. Maybe he should just set his sights on 2026. That's yeah. Even if he is a Luca, it's it's probably just going to be too hard to uh, essentially make that conclusion. All right, your front three. So I'm going with uh, I'm going with my guy Dwayne Holmes. <laughs> of course I am. Um, and then. Uh, opposite him in the other half, half space, I'm actually going with uh, Giochini. I feel like uh, feel like I might get a little bit of pushback from from the Georgie fans out there, but I I just feel like I was really happy with what Giochini did in the Gold Cup in his limited uh, appearances there. So that's who I'm running with for this. And then up top, uh, I'm going with Vasquez just because he's got really good underlying numbers at the moment, better than what DK had, better than what Pepe has had uh, from his time in MLS. And what's his, uh, what's his non-penalty XG per 90? Do you have, he's at like 0. 0.6, somewhere around 0. 0.6, which isn't, it's not, not, it's not blowing doors off. It's not, he's not, he's not Carlos Vela in 2019, but it's, it's good. And again, it's better than what sort of the, the grab bag of players that we had last year and mostly this year we're putting up. So just, just going to run him out there. See what he does. Uh, DK and Haji on standby. Okay. I've got, uh, I've got Kenny Saif as my right half space merchant. Yeah. <laughs> you would, you would do that to me. And then uh, Dwayne Holmes as the yes. left half space merchant. Bell's my man. I forgot about Nico. I did this in haste. I did this in haste. <laughs> uh, and then you gave it. You gave it exactly the amount of thought that it deserves. I maybe that's yeah. I'll I'll go with that. And um and then my striker is Christian Christian Ramirez. Sure. There you go. He's putting up goals too. So, so you you went with the goal scorer. Haji Wright is right there. You know, I I, I now have a little bit of a soft spot for him. I've been like uh, advocating for a, a giant hat of strikers anyway. So, uh, Haji Haji can be in the hat. How big can the hat be? Is it unlimited? Is it an unlimited? Yeah, hat? I mean, this is a this is a this is like a only constrained by the imagination. <laughs> All right, from Sam, well, that's, that's our uh, No Ocho lineups. Um, from Sam in Vermont, another lineup question. As the title of the podcast episode would indicate, what's your over 30 USMNT 11? All right, I'm letting you take this one because uh, it, was, it was kind of like not very fun to look through all the names of the players who are over 30. It's not, a, um, it's not an inspiring group, really. But yeah, I think we could come up with a pretty uh, a serviceable eleven, and I'm gonna go with Sean Johnson in goal, Ryan Hollingshead at right back, Timmy Chandler at left back, 
I'm gritting my teeth and I'm starting Omar Gonzalez at right center back and Tim Ream at left center back. You got so this is where I, I don't have too many too many uh, add-ons, but I was going to say like I think Matt Hedges could could make a shout here. I have is Gonzalez playing for Toronto right now? Yes, but I don't even I don't I'm not even entirely sure if he's starting. Hedges always looks shaky to me when I watch Dallas. But it's better than not playing if it turns out Omar's not even playing. Omar started half the games. Fine. Sold. Make it hedges. All right. So, yeah. So, Omar's only started half his games. I feel like, Bells, you're just, you're really holding on to, you know, what Omar used to be. Back, the player he was back in 17. <laughs> um, and then my, my defensive midfielder is going to be Alfredo Mor- Morales. I'm just gonna throw. I'm just gonna throw Dax McCarty's name into the mix. Okay. And then it's a it's Bedoya and Nagby as the eights. No, love it, love it. Keep them there. But also, this is not a four three three. This is a four four two diamond. <laughs> yep. No, nope, it plays as an homage to the to the over thirties. And then Joe Corona is my sort of ten, I guess. And this this is where you have overlick, overlooked. Mix Discarude. Greg, where is, still where is Mix playing right now? Playing in Europe. He was playing in European competition. He was in like the Conference League hmm. or Europa League and then the Conference League. But I don't remember the name of the team. I just remember that it has the same initials as Marseille. He's playing in Cyprus for Omonia. Hmm. That can't be a bad place to be. So he, he, he's a natural 10. I feel like uh, he does the job for us there. Okay. Uh, and I'm not even sure Corona's playing for the Galaxy. I don't, I don't. Corona, no. He, I think Corona's in Sweden now. Isn't he at, like, uh, he's in the Elsvenskan. I'm really tracking the over 30s closely, aren't I? <laughs> and then I've got Ramirez and Fafa Picot as my two strikers. Seem like they complement each other pretty well. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if they had a good relationship of playing. Uh, CJ Sapong. Uh, and then Jazzy Zardes, who has recently started for the U.S. men's national team, uh, also options in that over 30 cohort to play up top. Did you see the quotes from Caleb Porter about Zardes? Yeah, Caleb Porter jumping on the finishing uh, discussion train. <laughs> yep, he doesn't know about XG, I guess. <laughs> so we do, need a, we do need one of the nerds to to clarify if, like, conversion rate tends when conversion rate tends to fall off like surely as you get older and less able to manipulate like manipulate your body in the ways that you used to be able to do that should probably have an effect on the kinds of shots that you convert right mm-hmm. like you you're still wily enough to be in the right spots maybe even wilier i don't know yeah but like yeah your actual ability to physically execute might actually where where is that sort of considered the easy part of finishing uh at that at the highest level, I wonder if that does start to fade at a measurable rate. Certainly does in my experience. My underlying numbers in <laughs> Sunday League are off the hook, but uh, you know, can't strike the ball. All right, now so we we built these uh, two different restricted lineups. Does the No Ocho group win heads up against the uh, over thirties? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I, I feel good about that. It's a young man's game, isn't it? It certainly is in the, in the United States at the moment. 
Another question from Ted in Duluth, Minnesota. He asks about DeAndre Yedlin. Where does he rate all time in terms of the USMNT and as a fullback for the men's national team? Will he become the most capped outfield player to never net a goal? On such a young team, there's a lot of potential for future greatness, but this is surely Yedlin's last shot at a World Cup. I think he deserves a lot of credit uh, for setting a floor of performance and for his consistency. I think his uh, you're you're always talking about you know he'll come in and put in a challenge that sort of sets a tone. Um, I'm not sure where he ranks all time though. I don't think you know Tony Sane in the in the 2002 World Cup playing right back. I think surpasses anything Yedlin's done at right back, right? I, I think probably. And then Chirondolo, just with his uh, longevity and his uh, contributions to the to the various runs that we've made through the World Cup, I think are always going to kind of leave him ahead of Yedlin. I mean, Yedlin still has some chapters to write, you know, hopefully. But, uh, you know, when we can romanticize those uh, bygone days, I think I think we, most people would still pretty comfortably put Chirondolo ahead of him. Okay. Speaking of romanticizing bygone days, I do want <clears throat> to... I do want to do uh, recaps of the the game, the 2010 game against England, and the 1998 game against Iran. Are, are you up go. for that? <laughs> of course. Okay. We just got to figure out the right. On Y Scout, <laughs> <laughs> they're on football footballia dot net, whatever it is the the full match website. But um, we got to figure out what when we're going to do that. Like, when's the right time to do that? If anybody has an idea on when the right time to do that is, let us know. It's gonna be it's gonna be the uh, lull after the September games before the World Cup. Is that the, is that a, is that that's a, probably will right. there be a lull there? Yeah. I think there's gonna be a lull. That's probably right. Yeah. Okay, those are the questions we're gonna get to. Um, so a few other subjects. There's a potential change to the offside rule being uh, trialed in the Serie A U18 league, I believe. And it is yeah, they're running with uh, Wenger's daylight daylight definition, right? Yeah, and I don't. I'm not sure how to feel about it. How? What? What do you think? I I hate it to be honest. Uh, because I, or at least I hate some of the discussion around it, which is like then you won't have the the fractions of an inch offside calls that we're getting now. And like, of course, you still will. Like, no matter where you draw one line, one dimensionless line, yeah, uh, you're gonna have those. He's on by an inch, or he's off by. Uh, you know, whatever, a toenail, an armpit, whatever it is. So that that won't go away. And it's like this idea that uh, the other thing I, I don't like is sort of almost like this unspoken expectation that everyone will still act and behave the same way they do under the current rule. Uh, and then you just get, you know, then the new rule just catches these marginal cases. And that very obviously will not happen. Uh, attackers will start their runs slightly earlier because they will have more, uh, room to run into it, it could totally change the way defenders have to play because uh they can't give up half a body length because it'd be easy for attackers to gain leverage with half a body length that's all you need is to you know have one foot in front of a uh, defender to keep them on their on your hip whereas right now if you have one foot in front of the defender you are offside because you can't have any playable part of your body over the line so yeah uh, I mean, how do you feel about it? Well, the one thing that the one thing that that appeals to me about it is that it could result in more goals. I guess the the goal scoring rate in that league has gone up. Um, I think it at a statistically significant uh, clip. But 
Well, you can do that. Just just eliminate the offside rule if that's what you want. No. It does seem more. It does seem complicated. Like actually more complicated than the current rule to me. But and that that's kind of what I worry about the most about. Like there will be some equilibrium reached between uh, the decisions that defenders make and and the overall tactics uh, of of playing defensively. Um, and, and how how it sort of balances out with this change in the inter- interpretation if it's made certainly shouldn't happen ahead of the World Cup because this could take like a while. Oh yeah, to sort of figure out the nuances of and uh, how to play it like optimally. Yeah, definitely uh, can, should not I, happen before the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> can I throw out a really like tedious uh, attempted like a solution to this? Yes, please. So I feel like the, the big issue here is, this, uh, is, is the fact that the, the VAR and the attempt to use it to solve offside and the, uh, you know, the delayed flag by assistant referees to allow play to continue just in case you're wrong and you want to flag someone offside, but we'll just let the play happen and then go back and check it later. Um, well, what happens then is you create goals that wouldn't be created otherwise, right? And so this, this goal that cre- is created and comes into existence it's really hard to chalk that off psychologically, like for, for people who are trying to enjoy the sport. Yeah. That sucks. It really does. All excited. And then, and then to have it chalked off by like this grid line on a geometry project, like it makes it even worse and almost like a, it becomes a parody of itself. And those are things are all true, but that is just a consequence again of saying we have a one, you know, like a one line that determines offside and this, and we can enforce it exactly. So I feel like you can, you can, in the VAR era, you can have a correct offside or you can have a satisfying offside, but it's really hard to do both if that's how you're going to enforce it. So, so my attempt at a solution is to leave the rule as it is and continue using the delayed offset offsides, but then just change how you overturn it if you're going to attempt to overturn it. So if the AR, uh, you know, watches a play, thinks the player's offside, let's play continue, a goal is scored, then the AR lifts the flag up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you use the current language with VAR to confirm it. So if I've lifted the flag up and said, nope, this player was offside, if they're, uh, if they're onside by even a sliver, the goal, then you overturn it and the goal counts. That's the, that's the current language, right? But you trust, you're giving the AR more the benefit of the doubt. Does that make sense? Maybe. I mean, so, so how does that give the AR more of the benefit of the doubt? Or I guess you're saying, all right, so you're trusting that the AR saw it that way. So the AR lists the flag, calls it offside. VAR like shows that the player was in fact, let's say the player was offside, like by the current definition. And it's just like, hey, nice work, AR. You've got keen eyesight. You're really good at your job. The player was just barely offside. You got it right. The goal's wiped off. And it would have happened that way anyway, even with the human assistant referee in the old days, because you're pretty good at this. Isn't that how it works right now? Yes, that that basically is what I'm saying. So that wouldn't change anything. It's only if the AR calls the the player onside, allows the goal. Then when we go back, if we're going to overturn it, that's when you use the daylight language. Oh, so there has to be. You with me? Yeah, so you you have two different offside rules? You have to, to overturn a player who is ruled onside. There has to be daylight between him and the defender. Him or her there can't be any yeah 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 there has to be daylight so that would mean that uh to overturn it it would have to be so clear and obvious that there is an entire that there is an actual gap between the two ah, players interesting that way like because you still don't want to have blatant offsides 
uh, go against defenders because that feels unfair. Like, oh, that dude is so far offside. Uh, yeah. But if the, if the AR thinks that they're onside and the camera and the lines show that it's at least close enough that there's no daylight, then the call would stand, even if the player would have been offside by the rules as they're currently written. Ooh, I kind of like that. Yeah. So it took me a while that, that to, is, it took me a while to understand. <laughs> it's because I spent a ton of time explaining the first scenario, which isn't an actual change in the rules. Got it. I, I think get that it. was my mistake. I get it now. Yeah. I, that's but, very intriguing. Yeah. yeah. That essentially just defines what clear and obvious is, right? So to overturn somebody who's onside, because and again, the goal here is still like to have a fun, entertaining product, right? And, and so like, you don't want to chalk off goals le- like left and right by these fractions. So say, all right, well, the AR thought the guy was on, the human being thought the person was on side. So the machines have to tell us that it was way off mm-hmm. to overturn the human being. Yeah. In this case, because that, that way we keep more goals on the board. Hmm. Wouldn't there be a problem with, um, the, the two different rules? I mean, wouldn't it be confusing for defenders? Like, no, because everyone's going to play it the same way, right? You're, you're, you have to play it the way the rules are written now, because that's how the AR is going to attempt. So the only to time call. daylight comes into it is to over, overturn an onside call by the by yeah, the AR. The player is so far offside that you can that there's actual daylight between the bodies or the playable parts of the attacker and defender. That's how far offside they are. Then we're going to overturn the AR who thought they were onside. Can you imagine? Can you imagine explaining this to new soccer fans? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do kind of like it. I think a better way of explaining it is uh, the rule continues to exist as it does. And uh, in order to overturn an onside call, it has, the offside has to be clear and obvious to the point that there's daylight yeah. between uh, the defender and attacker. Right. So you're just defining, you're essentially defining what clear and obvious is in a different way than using, uh, it is like technically by the rule onside or offside. Like that, that's all, that's all you're doing. But if he's, if the AR rules him off, rules the player offside, the player scores a goal, you go to VAR, you're not looking for daylight. You're just looking for him to be slight, slightly offside. Right, right. He has to be, if you're going to overturn the offside call, they need to be onside as the rules currently written. Otherwise, you just you just congratulate the AR on being very good at judging offside. Something about the two different uh, <laughs> overturnings. Yeah, the two different standards is, uh, I think, will bother some people and seems but, not but quite right to me. I think it's but... technically what the heart wants. I think it's what the heart wants, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone hates that some beautiful soccer moment is wiped off. Uh, because an AR was so good or the computer now is so good that it's got like the armpit offside. So you just say, all right, well, yeah, the computers can do that. But let's if the, if the human being thought it was close enough to be onside, then the computers really got to prove it. Yeah. OK. I mean, I th- I think I kind of like it. Honestly. Um, I don't have any suggestions. None. <laughs> We'll have to we'll have to clean up the way it's written because soccer does I think try to try to lean towards elegance overall and simplicity. So the we got We got to make the law a little like as tidy as possible. I think gonna, I think once a, yeah once once I understood it, it didn't seem as complicated. It felt kind of complicated to me for a while there, but I'm you know not 
the smartest guy. All right, let's do uh, let's do club stakes. We're coming to the end of the season. A bunch of our players have uh, important battles in the table. Some of them might get relegated. Some of them might get promoted. What do you got, Greg? You've you put this together. Well, it's just a lightning round because it has been hard, I think, to keep track of everybody. There are so many now. So well, let's just go league by league. Does that yep. work? All right. Just going in alphabetical order, Serie A. <laughs> I think that counts as alphabetical. <laughs> uh, West McKinney and Juventus are on their way to Europe, but they are nowhere near uh, winning a trophy. So that's they're basically just you know seeing out the the rest of the season. Champions League spot, uh, right? Yeah, they're in fourth or eight points clear of Roma with four games left. Uh, so comfortable end of the end of the year for them. Um, so Weston can come back at his leisure if he comes back at all. On the other end of the table uh, is Venezia. Venezia, Buzio, and Tessman are in dead last. Uh, and it doesn't seem like they're going to get out from that. Uh, they're six points from safety. They do have a game in hand, but they're only averaging like two-thirds of a point per game, so they would need to go on a nice little run of unexpected results. It, it, it could happen. It can happen. Uh, They've had a but there's nothing second half of the season. Yeah, there's nothing suggesting they're on their way uh, to fighting through this. What about the Bundesliga? Okay, so Bundesliga, we've got uh, Bayern's running away with it, so no one's catching them for the trophy. But in European slots, we've got Dortmund, who are incredibly comfortable. They're way ahead of everyone else in second, uh, way behind Bayern. Um, I think Bayern have clinched uh, it. Yeah, yeah, Bayern have clinched. Uh, Tyler Adams and Red Bull Leipzig are uh, just two points clear, I want to say. In fourth place, so they're in fourth place now. They're two points clear, and there are three games left. So they are sort of holding on for dear life. Plus, they've got the DFB Pokal coming up, uh, the final versus Freiburg in a couple of weeks. Plus, they've got the Europa semifinals, first leg of which is today. So uh, they are they're trying to win some trophies, and they're trying to hold on to that fourth place spot. Freiburg, Freiburg behind them, and Freiburg in the Pokal final. Hmm. What a, I mean, what an interesting club Freiburg is. <laughs> I, love, I love it. Tell us about Freiburg. They're, are they the ones in the in the in the black? They're forest? in the black forest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just they have that Christian strike. The sort of sort of uh, I don't know, full of personality manager who's been there for a long time, and boy, they punch they punch above their weight. It seems. And if anyone's wondering uh, why Bells knows so much about Freiburg, it's because that's where Alex Mendez would have gone, went. Uh, right, that was Mendez at Freiburg. Yeah, I used to watch his U nineteen games and watch the high speed train go by in the background as he was <laughs> as they were playing. So in days long gone, in days long past, Bells was Bells was spending a lot of time watching Freiburg. Yeah, we did a we did a, a youth national team slash GA Cup episode last night, and I do have to admit that I enjoy. I, I did watch some soccer specifically to make that episode, but I enjoy watching youth men's soccer. Quite a bit less than I used to. <laughs> I used to it used to be a lot more fun back in 2018. Well, there was the whole, we had the whole world ahead of us, right? We were so young. <laughs> we weren't so young. Yeah, there was a real like uh, there was definitely an, a wide openness as as you know as it panned out. There was a, absolutely a wide openness as our entire team is Olympic eligible at this point. We are we were vindicated. Three or four spots. <laughs> All right. Speaking of vindication, uh, Hoffenheim, does that work? Are Hoffenheim vindicated? They are, uh, they are basically just 
playing it out there they could still get like a U- U- europa conference league spot okay uh if they gain four points but they're basically just running running the clock out here that's R- chris richards and justin shea uh who richards is on loan so i don't know what his uh next season will be if he'll even be with hoffenheim again and che is on the one of the 18 month loans right okay so he'll stick with hoffenheim again next year uh and he has gotten like on the again. he has gotten on the field a couple of times, so you know that's good. Yeah, there's some promise there. Um, into the relegation fights in the Bundesliga, and it's not even a fight for Tim Tillman and Julian Green. They are going down, uh, but they are at least even now with with a few games left, one point better than Schalke were last year. So they they're at 17 points. They've at least outpaced Schalke. Incredible, uh, George Bello. And Armenia Bielefeld are two points from the playoff, so they're 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 not there yet. They uh, they would need to net two points on uh, the team ahead of them to get into the relegation playoff, which Germany has. The they are, third bottom team. If the season were to end. Plays. Go ahead, sorry. Third bottom team plays the uh, double Bundesliga's third top team in a two-legged playoff. Okay. They yeah, and they're they're below the relegation line. Uh, right they need they need to gain two to get to the playoff they would need to gain six on the uh uh the team ahead of that to to actually auto uh maintain safety Hmm. well i hope they get i hope they stay up uh but not at but not at augsburg's expense augsburg is basically just seeing out the season at this point right Yep, so the bundesliga dead rubbers include uh augsburg and peppy who are now seven points clear of even that playoff spot. Uh, unfortunately, they got into that position uh, while Pepe has basically not been playing soccer for them. So he was playing a lot while they were towing the line of, of relegation. They dropped him from the lineup and, and his minutes have decreased sharply even off the bench and they have worked their way to safety. So that's not super uh, encouraging for him and his role there, but they spent 20 million on him. Uh, they're now safe. So we'll see if he can get a run out here in the, over the last few games. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, Brooks and Paredes and Wolfsburg very safe. Not gonna not gonna achieve anything one way or the other. Uh, Joe Scally with Gladbach and Timmy Chandler with uh, Frankfurt also safe. Timmy Chandler in the Europa semis also playing today against West Ham. Oh yeah, did he get on the field in that game against Barcelona or or not? Nah? Uh, he might have. He hasn't been playing much either lately. Uh, he got one Bundesliga start randomly uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, he is. He, he got some minutes. And I think he's come off the bench really late, like stoppage time sub in a couple other games. But no, he's, he's, his role has basically disappeared for Frankfurt. Say that at your own peril. <laughs> I mean, I'm just describing what's happening. I'm not saying anything about him as a player. Yeah. Uh, I know, and, and we'll I see. Hopefully, maybe he, can, maybe he still has a part to play to like, you know, his, sort of his... Uh, crowning achievement here in the in the Europa League. Yeah, if they can make a make a run against West Ham and then the winner of Leipzig Rangers in the final, which Berhalter is apparently going to be at that game. I think I saw that headline. What about the the Premier League? So in the Premier League, we've got uh, we have Zach Steffen, who very easily could win the league and uh, is still alive in the Champions League. For a, a double, a famous double for an American player, technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, City are one point clear at the top over Liverpool, uh, and they beat Real Madrid in the first leg of the semis in the Champions League. 
I really want not, uh, not nothing against Stefan, but I really want uh, Real Madrid to beat. I know it's weird to root for Real Madrid as the underdog, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just I, I just always like to see the Premier League teams lose in Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I love Luka Modric, so I will never be upset if Modric is winning. If he's enjoying himself. Uh, we also have Pulisic, who's uh, comfortably secured a Champions League spot. They're in third, seven points clear with a game in hand. Um, and then Chelsea have the FA Cup final versus Liverpool in a couple of weeks. Okay. That'll be interesting to see how see what Pulisic's role is through the end of the season. Um, yeah, they've got Manchester United today, so we'll see if he gets uh, some action there. Again, not really much to play for. I mean, they could be caught technically by... Uh, the fourth place, fifth place teams, but it's they're they're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Sargent is going to be relocated. They're ten points from safety. Uh, that's not happening for Norwich, so they will be a championship team next season. Maybe for the best. <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see if he can turn that corner in the championship. Uh, in La Liga, what do we got? Uh, we've got Sergio Dest on his way to Champions League. They will not catch Real Madrid for the title, uh, but they're six points safe for their Champions League spot with five games left, and they're pretty good at soccer. So uh, it doesn't. It would take a big collapse for them to to miss out. Uh, and then we go to the other end. Uh, Matthew Appi and Mallorca are just two points clear of safety with five games left, so they're very much in a relegation struggle. And Matt Miazga and Alaves are dead last. Um, with they are six points adrift, they have five games to make that up. Seems unlikely. Yunus mm-hmm. Musa and Valencia lost to Copa del Rey last weekend and have effectively nothing to play for at this point. They are they are mid table. Okay, Liga A to France, where we have Conrad uh, and Marseille in a Champions League spot, pretty comfortably. They got six point lead there. They're not catching PSG for the title. So this is where they are. Of course, Conrad has played very little role in any of that. He's been hurt. Uh, certainly in the second, second half of the season. Now he's injured for the season. Um, they, uh, Marseille also have the Europa Conference semifinals coming up uh, against uh, Feyenoord, where there's another player who will not, another American who also won't take part because Cole Bassett is not registered for European competition for Feyenoord. Hmm. He did get on the field last weekend, which is good. Uh, um, tro- we've got. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, Eric Palmer Brown and Twa are uh, in a relegation battle. They're they're safe for the moment, but they they've only got a two point cushion, uh, so it's tight there. Uh, Wea and Joe Akini both basically mid table. Not not really much chance of improving their lot. Is Jonathan David headed out from Lille? Is that is that happening? Or it seemed like there were a lot of rumors about it in the fall. I have not been I have not been catched staying current on any transfer rumors. Uh other than I did follow one uh agent related transfer rumor uh about somebody's unfortunate demise, but that turned out to have been exaggerated. What are you referring to? Fellows, are you are you not current on uh who's the most famous agent in Europe? Oh Mino, Mino Raiola. <laughs> he had reportedly died. But it wasn't it was widely true. reported that he was dead. Uh turns out that he is uh, at least not all the way dead. <laughs> As Miracle Max might say. <laughs> um, okay, and then in the championship, uh, full, I'll just, I, can I take a couple here? Fulham, yeah, take Fulham clinched uh, promotion. That's obviously Jedi Robinson and Tim Ream. Um, 
what's happening with Horvath, Holmes, and Balligan. We've got some we've got some playoff contenders here. So uh, Horvath and Holmes pretty safely in the playoff spot. They've got nine points to play with before they would drop out, and uh, Horvath and Forrest have a game in hand. Of course, Hor- Horvath no longer playing for Forrest. He lost his spot by coming over to play for the U.S. in qualifying, where he didn't play. Just a bit of uh, sad irony for Ethan Horvath, who just seems to run into these situations again and again in his career. Uh, Dwayne Holmes has kind of been falling off a little bit at Huddersfield, uh, and this started a while ago. If you're in the Discord, you would have been getting a lot of highlights from Dwayne Holmes earlier in the season from me, uh, and then he really has sort of faded. And uh, my theory, my pet theory, was that he he was injured. That that he really was injured, but that he came back too early from that, and he just hasn't been nearly as active and aggressive as he usually is. Uh, and he's seen sort of his uh, effectiveness, I think, fall off a little bit. But his team's still in the hunt for promotion. Okay. Balogun and uh, Middlesbrough. Balogun's a dual national. He hasn't appeared for us, I think, since like a U18 tournament uh, a few years back. Uh, they're two points off of a playoff spot, so they could, they, could, uh, they could sneak their way into the playoffs. Moving it over to Austria. Uh, Aronson and Salzburg have clinched the league, and they've got the domestic cup going for another double uh, this Sunday already. That's, that's right on top of us. They win a lot of Austrian competitions, it turns out. Yeah. Uh, over to the Netherlands. Uh, we've got Ledesma still technically in the hunt for a trophy with PSV. They're four points off Ajax somehow. Uh, Ajax have amassed a plus 71 goal difference over the season, which is staggering. Uh, PSV somehow only four points off of them at plus 40, which is also very impressive for goal difference. Uh, four games to go in that. PSV are also pretty comfortably uh, in place for a Champions League playoff spot. Okay. But we also don't know what Ledesma's role with PSV will be next year. Right. He scored, I think, for a young PSV a couple of days ago. Yeah, I saw for that. an assist, one of the two. I saw that video on the... Yeah, I saw the video on Twitter. I'm, um, so, so is Feyenoord, Bassett's at Feyenoord, as we mentioned. What's their... What's up with them? They're they're not really close enough to catch PSV for a Champions League spot, and I think the next thing they are they are up for is a Europa Conference League spot. Okay, uh, so they they've got a three point lead there to hold on to that. Uh, they do have the Conference League semifinals that they're currently playing in, but again, Bassett is not registered for that competition, uh, and he's had minimal involvement in their league since arriving. He's another one of those eighteen month loans, I believe. So he's just kind of maybe hopefully getting. Uh, settled in for this past six months, and then if he's going to play a part, hopefully he's got a chance at that next year. Okay, and then I, I guess Luca Della Torre—they're safe. Uh, they're safe at yep. uh, Heracles. They're safe. Yep, they're not going anywhere. And I think you know we'll just the interest in him will be whether or not they sell him. I think he's got one year left on his contract, so if they're going to get anything from him, they'd need to move him probably this this summer. I'm just looking at the, as we go down the list here, I'm just looking at the Portuguese table. Because I thought Vizela was, uh, was in some danger, but they've, they've escaped it pretty much, haven't they? Yeah, again, and it, and it kind of coincided with Mendez playing less of a role. Aww. Not necessarily saying there's a causation there, but he's, uh, he's definitely seen his run of starts uh, dry up. And they are, I think they're one point away from Boa Vista. They're both, they're both just safe. Well, they did, Vizela did beat Aruca over the weekend. Um, a t- uh, that was a definitely a six pointer, and, and Mendez started and went 
oh, 80 nice. minutes, I think. Yeah, he, he hasn't fallen off the, the picture completely. He still gets in off the bench fairly regularly. So uh, I don't mean to say he's, he's not playing any role here. Yeah. But it looks like they're going to do it. And we had, I had Zach Lowy, kind of a Portuguese soccer expert on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was very clear on how big of, a, of an accomplishment that is for them. Last time they were, they didn't have it. They didn't have a Twitter account at the beginning of the season. <laughs> That's right. I don't. I don't know exactly what that measures, but it seems relevant. Yeah. No. They. The last time they were in the top flight in Portugal before this season was 1984, and uh, they went right back down. So for them to stay up, you know, they're making memories for. There you the go. Towns people. That's that's a trophy for them. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. I don't. I don't mean that like facetiously. That's that's impressive. Uh, Jordan Pifak, um and BSC Young Boys comfortably in a Europa Conference League slot. Doesn't look like they'll go uh, higher than that, though. It's not mathematically impossible. Um, but they they are going to see their four year uh, run as league champions come to an end. Okay. Do you want to do the rest of these, Belgium? Yeah, Belgium's kind of interesting because they split their table up. So, like, uh, Mackenzie and Genk finished mid-table, but now you move into this four-team playoff where I think they play everyone twice, and it's all just for a Europa, Europa Conference League qualifying spot, I believe. Vines uh, finished just barely in the top four with Antwerp, so they're in this playoff that they could, I think, technically win the league still, but they're nowhere close to doing that, and so they will... Uh, also most likely end up in a Europa Conference League qualifying spot. Europa Conference League, for just for the uninitiated, that is the basically the starting starting blocks of the Europa League now? <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's a separate competition that is like that. So Champions League is, is the big thing. Then Europa League is the NIT. And now there's a Europa Conference League that is one tier below that. We don't even have a we don't even have a parallel type of competition in college no, basketball, do we? I don't think so. It's it's the I don't even I, I I wish I knew enough about college football bowl games to know which bowl game that would be. But uh, yeah. I mean, you're definitely playing it in Detroit, <laughs> the Music City Bowl. Uh, there we go. And then um, CCV. So they are they're Celtic and CCV are pretty comfortable with their six points up, four games left. But they do play Rangers uh, in a game in one of their remaining matches. So Rangers could gain three points on them there and, and put a little pressure on them. Uh, but Celtic just don't drop a lot of points in, in Scotland. So even if they lose that game uh, to James Sands and Rangers, they're still probably going to sew this thing up. Okay. Uh, Sands and Rangers have the Europa semis again today against uh, Tyler Adams and Leipzig. So that's probably they what might they're be trying to. really paying attention to right now, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, they're always going to pay attention to the to the Celtic matchup, but it just it's unlikely that they're going to be able to make up that ground. Uh, and then just we've got uh, we've got Shaq Moore in a promotion playoff spot in uh, Segunda, and we have uh, Andrea Novakovic, uh, 2018 Cap E. Yep. Uh, for the men's national team, he's uh, he's in there in the last promotion playoff spot in Italy in the second division. Okay. Trying to get up to the first division, take over for our Venezia boys. That'd be cool. I mean, not that the Venezia boys would, would go cool, down. Bells? It'd be cool enough. <laughs> um, not not for the Venezia guys to go down, but for Novakovic to come back up. Uh, so there we go. That's that's the lightning round. You're now current on where everyone is. Uh, 
I guess since we're talking Segunda, uh, Jonathan Gomez, who made his Mexican national team debut last night, uh, is in a relegation spot in the Segunda, but he's got an out if he can play his way up to Sociedad's first team. Yeah, they're pretty much going to get rele- relegated. They're oh yeah, they're 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 like seven points away yeah. with five games left, and they're not the kind of team that gains seven points over no. five games. Um, I should admit, I, I want to say bringing up Rangers made me think of uh, Christian Ramirez's interview with with Mark McKenzie and Heath Pierce on Orange Slices. He said that he he was watching the Rangers Dortmund game, I think it was on TV, and he tweeted about how good of a game it was. And he just got destroyed on social media <laughs> because Aberdeen hates Rangers so much. So he's not supposed to say th- something like that. It was a big, like, big, big, big problem. <laughs> so that is, that's actually a fantastic anecdote for, for someone to go in without that sort of right. uh, local understanding. He was like, man, it's just a good of- game of soccer, you know? But that's not how it works, I guess. So the the other the other duo in Europe chasing some silverware right now is Katarina Macario and Lindsay Horan, who are uh, playing this weekend in the second leg of a Champions League semifinal. They've got PSG, Horan's former club. Uh, Macario's just been on fire for uh, Lyon. Eight goals uh, in her last six Lyon. games for them. What is Eight it? Eight goals in her last six games. There you go. So she scored twice in the first leg against PSG, uh, and uh, they are. I, I don't know the, it, it's in the, the second game is, is in Paris. So it's, it's tight. And I don't think there's away goals anymore in the women's side either. Hmm. A lot of, I, I watched her involvements from the game. I had a lot of good stuff from her in this match. I, the, the goals were not among those really. I mean, the goalkeeper just had a horrible, horrible night. No, just we're, we're hoping that, uh, Lyon can pull this off, and then they would be most likely playing Barcelona in the final. Barcelona have just been uh, running a riot uh, in Spain and then also through the Champions League. So that would be an awesome final for, for our two Americans over, over in France. Uh, Lyon also on their way to winning the, the French League over PSG. Okay. Uh, and then we've got uh, Tobin Heath, who's, who's like our only other U.S. women's national player playing abroad at the moment. Uh, for Arsenal, and they're one point behind uh, Chelsea uh, on the women's league there. But uh, Tobin, I, she would still get a, a ring, I believe, if, if Arsenal pulled this off. But she is uh, returning to the States. She's ruled out with injury for the season, so she has been, been released uh, from, from her contract there. So she's coming back to the States, and it will be interesting to see where she lands as the NWSL season kicks off this weekend. I think you, Vince will know, but I think Louisville have her have her league okay. rights for NWSL. All right. Yeah, that's too bad that she got hurt. I mean, is that a, is her injury a recent thing or? She's been dealing with injuries like off and on, uh, I think even before the Olympics, but I'll have to double check when it, when it really started, but she hasn't been involved with the, uh, the women's national team for okay. since the Olympics. Uh, and then, I mean, we, we also, we'd started with CCL talk. We've got Seattle, a uh, bunch of Seattle players chasing that trophy. Uh, 2-2 now heading back to Seattle. And then we also, of course, have Sebastian Saucedo on the other side for Pumas. Uh, so one way or the other, we're getting that trophy. I'm glad, I'm glad we did this, Greg, because it's... Uh, <laughs> no, I am. I am. Because this is just a good, like a good sort of uh, refresher slash check-in um, on what's going on with everybody. 
Oh, we we uh, we did. Sc- I know we, we've been talking about Haji Wright the last couple of days, so we skipped over that. Uh, I don't know how I missed the Super League on here, but uh, Haji Wright's and Antalya Spore are comfortable and apparently living comfortably by by your description of <laughs> Antal. What's it? Antalya. Antalya. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Boyd, unfortunately, about to be relegated, but I think he's just on loan at Rise of Spore from Besiktas. I don't remember exactly. I think there is also a mathematical possibility of Antalya Spore making Europa League, but it's not likely to happen. All right, we'll step it up, Haji. <laughs> Start scoring some goals, bro. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see ya. <laughs>